Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. Got another great show for you this week, Jeremy and Gretchen. As always, welcome, welcome. Hello. Hello there. So we've got kind of a cool interview coming up for you this week. It's Ken's Pins. And this is a gentleman, a vendor that we met at the Emerald City Comic Con a few weeks ago that does custom pens, like writing pens. And he's going to come on They're and tell really us all pretty. about that. They're really pretty and really unique. And there's a lot more to this than you would think. And he tells us all about it. I mean, you can do pens from different materials, which mm-hmm. I hadn't thought about because pens are plastic. I've seen wooden ones. Now, Jeremy, you've worked on pens, I know, custom stuff. Yes. Yeah, I, I, and, I took a woodworking class and did that. So, so and, and I know some of the stuff you've made has been really cool, but he really kind of takes this to the next level. So mm-hmm. we're going to be talking about that coming up here. We're also going to be talking about the idea of ethical hacking. This is a career, and it's one where you can make money hacking, but it doesn't have that pesky option where you're going to go to jail if you get caught, which Uh-oh. is kind of a nice advantage. <laughs> mm. Also going to be talking about some changes coming up to your smart, uh, popular smart home system, if I can say that. So something you'll want to be aware of. And like anything else, computer technology changes over the years, and I've just found out I'm going to be replacing a bunch of my devices with this. So I'll get into mm. that in a little more detail coming up. All right, with that, we want you to continue to send in, as always, your questions and comments. Got a lot of great stuff coming up. In fact, in a couple of weeks, we're probably going to be doing a full Q&A show because we've got so many things out there that everybody has asked. Send them to one user-friendly on Facebook or Twitter, user-friendly on LinkedIn, userfriendlyshow.com. Any of those places are a good place to send them. What do we have in the news this week? Custom officials have copied Americans' phone data at massive scale. So what does that mean? So this is something that's coming out that's, of course, proving to be controversial. And basically what it is is U.S. government officials are adding data from as many as 10,000 electronic devices a year to a massive database they've compiled from cell phones, iPads, computers, and other electronics that they've seized from travelers at airports, seaports, and border crossings. So this is international. Crossing Custom and Border Protection. This came out in a briefing last summer. And basically what happens is they look at your device and if they want to, they can plug it in and copy your contact list, text, all that kind of stuff into a searchable database. And there's really no restrictions or controls on this. They don't have to have a warrant or anything else to do it. So this is being looked into. And uh, Senator Ron Wyden here in Oregon has criticized this for allowing what he calls indiscriminate rifling through Americans' private records and is calling for some privacy protection. So we'll see what happens, but just something to be aware of. So is it just this happening like you just go through the line and they copy it, or or do they have to actually take the phone from you? They have to take the phone from you. They can ask to see the device, and then they, they can plug it in from that. So it's not like automatic where it scans it somehow just because you're in line. You would know that it was in their possession, but nevertheless, you don't have the right to tell them that they can't, apparently. Jeez. Hmm. Interesting. Uber in contact with the FBI over potential GTA 6 hacker. Yeah, so a new hacking group out there, or not new, but one that's becoming a lot more active. Leaders suspected to be a 16-year-old from Oxford, England, with the group being based in South America. They got Mm -hmm. into the publisher of 
Grand Theft Auto 6's system, and uh, which is Rockstar Games, and they downloaded a bunch of stuff and leaked a lot of footage and other things that wasn't meant to be released yet. And the reason why Uber's involved is they think that this is very likely the same hacker that hacked Uber week before last. So they're looking into it. They haven't confirmed that yet, but they are using some techniques that are very effective against a lot of our bigger companies. Wow. Studies suggest kids are waking up in the night to check their notifications and are losing about one night's worth of sleep a week. Yeah, and this is actually what? kind of a big deal because it screws up your your sleep cycle and it's this yeah. idea of the always on. And this we're talking about kids 12 and younger where this is affecting where they'll wake up, get on their device and check their social media. The primary social media site that they've been checking is TikTok, although all of them seem to be in that. <sighs> We've talked about in the past how using a mobile device about two hours before going to sleep can actually interrupt your sleep cycle. So certainly getting uh, up and looking at one in the middle of the night is not good for any of us, especially young no. kids. Yeah, it's you just know, they, silly. They, they need their sleep, and it's just this is well, not yeah. a good idea. <laughs> so I, I can't imagine getting up in the middle of the night to check and see if I've been mentioned or if my video is trending yet. It's like that's just, yeah. and that's exactly what that's exactly what it's about, and it's this idea that you need to do that. And I don't know, I was a lot more a fan of social media in previous years than I am now. I think I've kind of just gotten bored with it a little bit. I still use it. I mean, our show's on and uh, it's a great yeah. way to contact you guys as our listeners and things like that. But it just isn't what it once was. But among the uh, younger generation, it is a big part of their lives with some of them using upwards of four hours a day on their devices oh, just to be on social media. Crazy. Okay, the U.S. Safety Agency warns people to stop buying mail-to-mail extension cords on Amazon. You know, and this is kind of an interesting thing because I posted this <laughs> as a joke meme on Facebook uh, yeah. about two years ago. So, first mm-hmm. of all, if you find a device like this, just know it is it is very dangerous. Uh, the people primarily seem to be using these for hanging holiday lights right now, presumably Halloween, Christmas later on. But if you need one of these, you've hung your lights wrong. Yes, you need to absolutely. Hang it correctly. <laughs> and the bottom line of it is, is this is just so super dangerous because you've got an exposed electrical thing coming out that's fully charged that if you grab it or someone rubs up against it or something like that, it could kill them very easily. Yeah. And you're, you're basically sticking your hand on a live wire. Yeah. 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 And I just, you know, straight out, it's just, it's a bad idea. And uh, all the way around, I know at Ace Hardware here, they had signs up saying that, again, if you need this, it means you've hung your lights wrong. They, of course, didn't sell a device like this. And to my understanding, neither does Home Depot or Lowe's or any of the reputable home improvement resellers. But on places like Amazon, presumably eBay, where anybody can list their product, they are available. And just please stay away from that. So weird. NASA's Webb Space Telescope, eh, it's so good, we might need improved planetary models. So what is this? You know, we've got our models of the universe that we work off of, but the new telescope is sending in images that are just amazing, and we're seeing stuff that we never had before. And the way this was described is, think of the analogy of you buy the latest, greatest video game system, your PlayStation 5, your Xbox, that's capable of 8K output and all of the bells and whistles and graphics, and then try to hook it up to a 1990s television. Now, for a lot of other reasons, that wouldn't work because you'd have to have converters or things in the process. 
But the reality of the situation is, is that television would have no way of being able to show you the capability of the modern system. And on top of that, you wouldn't know what you're missing if you hadn't seen it the other way. And that's kind of what we've got going on here. We're finding out about things in the universe that we didn't know about that aren't even represented in our models that are requiring scientists and astronomers to completely rethink some of this and update it so that it's actually workable. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's actually good. That's called progress. Yeah, actually, that's called, called scientific progress. It's a good advance, thing, but it's just advancement. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah, it's just interesting to see it going quite that you know quite that direction. But they're actually starting to be able to see the makeup of atmosphere on some of the exoplanets and things like that. And where that's important is you can tell if it's a biological environment or not, depending on what's in the atmosphere. I mean, it's actually getting to the point where it's that good. Yeah, some of the the images coming back are amazing, too. All right, Bill, this one's weird. iPhone 14 Pro Max users experiencing loud, uncontrollable camera shaking when using social media apps. Yeah, and when I was reading about this, it was a user with TikTok, and they were doing this, and it was happening where the phone was vibrating and all this stuff, and their comment was, I seem to be having an issue with my camera. And what it seems to be is most of the newer iPhones have a motor on the camera, which is used for stabilizing the image. So when you move, it's able to counter that. But for some reason, with some social media apps right now, it's causing a situation where the motor turns on and causes the phone to vibrate, and in some cases is damaging the phone, certainly screws up the image that you're trying to record. So it's, it's giving the, the camera epilepsy? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of an analogy like that, it would seem like, yeah. you know? And wow. just, a, just a situation. Apple said that they're going to have a fix out for this pretty soon. Problem can be corrected for, through software. So right now, until that happens, it might be a good idea just to refrain from using the camera, because you really don't want to screw up your brand new iPhone 14 Max that's going to be, I believe they're about $1,600. That's a lot of money. You know, doing something like that that uh, may or may not be covered under the warranty. All right, well, listen, like I was saying earlier, we've got a great show coming up for you this week. Our next segment is going to be our interview about pins, and you're going to learn a bunch of stuff you didn't know about these writing instruments. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. Joining me now is Ken Krebs with Ken's Pens. Ken, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Bill. Appreciate being here. Now, I know I've seen some of what you do, and I know you make custom pens, but it goes a lot deeper than that. Tell us a little bit about what you have and what you do and where you started. Okay. <clears throat> I got started when my youngest daughter made me a simple wood pen in her shop class at school. And I thought it was very cool. I was into other forms of woodworking, but didn't, I had never turned anything. So uh, I asked her how she did it. She sort of explained it and I sort of understood. But a couple of years later, my uh, uh, favorite woodworking store in Colorado Springs, which is where I was living at the time, had a class on how to make pens. I took the class and I fell in love with it right away. So what goes into hand making a pen? I mean, it seems like that's something that actually could take a lot of time. And certainly a lot of talent to do. Well, uh, perhaps not as much as you might think. Um, 
there are literally dozens, many dozens of pen styles available to pen makers. What we do is uh, every style comes in the form of a kit of the metal parts only. So okay. things like the, the writing tip and the cap and the clip and a center band and the various things that uh, make up a pen. And uh, then there are literally many hundreds of blanks, as they call them, these small pieces of uh, acrylic resin or wood. There are lots of things you can make blanks out of. And what is involved is taking a pen style that I want to make and uh, mating a blank to it. And then I have to do all of the machining, uh, cutting, drilling, gluing, and uh, then turning it on a lathe to the shape that I want. I would say that uh, overall, I have about maybe uh, almost 500 pens in my inventory at any one time. And I'd say the average amount of time it takes me to make a pen over that entire uh, inventory is probably just under an hour. My easiest pens take me about 20 minutes. My most complicated pens take me about four hours to complete. and. Uh, I do all the machining and stuff just in my garage, which I've turned into my shop. Now, you talk about being able to get a blank for the basic parts, but the material, because pins are a lot of different things. You have acrylic, of course, and then I've seen wood pins. I've even seen cardboard. What kind of materials can you actually use? Well, um, you know, some people have made pins out of deer antler. I made one out of uh, buffalo horn one time. Um, a lot of people make what are called pre-tubed blanks, which is uh, every pen style has one or two tubes in it, and those tubes are a particular size. And so some people will make things like the printed circuit board blanks. We'll have a, a top layer of a printed circuit board wrapped around the tube that's inside it, and then they'll pour like a clear acrylic resin over that tube. And so I can make any pen with that blank that uses that size tube and the, uh, the various blanks will come in all the various sizes of tubes. So, um, you know, there are lots of pens with custom graphics in them um, and uh, just all kinds of things. There are literally, I think there are probably over a thousand blanks uh, that I've seen over the years. It's just amazing. It, it, quite a bit of flexibility. I know when I got to see some of the stuff that you had available, it seemed like there was just all kinds of different selection. Is it a predefined set of artwork that you would choose from, or could I even like send you something and you you put that on a pen? How does that work? Well, I buy all my stuff pre-made. Um, I don't make my own blanks, at least not yet. I have just recently bought the tooling I need in order to start doing that, but I haven't actually started doing it yet. So um, the people from whom I buy blanks, and I've got probably five or six different sources, um, they're almost all online, and they'll have tons of uh, acrylic blanks available. There are lots of different woods uh, available. Um, something interesting about the woods, I'd never heard of toxic woods before, but one time mm -hmm. I turned a pen using cocobola, which is a beautiful sort of a medium to dark brown wood and 
that night, and I was not wearing a dust respirator at the time. And that night, I suffered mightily with uh, oh my goodness, <laughs> runny eyes, watery—I mean, watery eyes, runny nose, uh, sneezing. It was awful. So I learned immediately that I always wear a dust respirator now whenever I turn a pen. But you know, the 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 imagination is really the only limitation on how much uh, or what you could include in a pen blank. As long as it'll fit in that size, then it's uh, it can probably be made into a blank. Now, do you find that the majority of your customers like things that they would pick out or do within that type of an area? Or is there more like a business into this where you could put your logo on a pen? Or are those two really different things? Well, they they really are two different things. I Early on in my pen making career, I did a little bit of uh, engraving. You know, I I was not able to do the engraving myself, didn't have the equipment, but I would have some things engraved on the pens. Um, I decided it wasn't worth it to me. It was such a high cost adder for me that I decided I did not want to do it. So if somebody does ask me if I can do any engraving, I typically say no, um, or I will, you know, recommend an engraver that they could take it to. It is possible. but it, it certainly, I have found it easier to engrave wood than the acrylic. Um, in fact, uh, the first time I ever got into uh, making large numbers of pens, I, I made a pen for every guest at my wedding in 2012. Oh, wow. And uh, we had our first names and wedding date engraved on the barrel of each one of them. They were only made of wood. That's all I was doing at the time. And I was only finishing them in a relatively unsophisticated way. I do a good deal more uh, to them now in finishing wood. But we laid them all out on a table at our reception, and people walked by the table and grabbed the pen that sang to them. And that was so popular that uh, that's when I first started thinking, well, maybe I could uh, make these and maybe even eventually sell them. And that's what got me first thinking about it. And I started my little pen company in November of 2015. Okay. And that was actually going to be my next question is how long you've been doing it. So that would be what, seven years now? They're about, yeah. Yep. And it does seem like this is a process that would evolve over that time. And you kind of, you know, step everything up. Where would someone go online to see what you do? Uh, I know you have a website. I do. I do all my online selling through Etsy. Okay. And, uh, you know, you, you go to Etsy and then my shop name on Etsy is KRK Pens because unfortunately the name Ken's Pens was already taken. Understood. Understood. Okay. So KRK Pens. Right. And I use Etsy a lot. So uh, being able to look it up there should be absolutely no problem. And then what we're going to do is also include that in our social media that week's this week. So if you don't have a chance to write it down or you're driving right now, don't crash. We'll get that to you and we'll get that to you through our social media. So no problem there. All right. Well, Ken, thank you so much for joining us today. Look forward to maybe having you back in the future when you get your next step here. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Send us your questions and your comments, 503-766-6264, one user-friendly on Facebook and Twitter, user-friendly on LinkedIn, or user-friendly show 
Com. So a bit of news that has come out that a lot of us might want to think about is home automation updates. And like any computer system, there's no difference here. And as time goes by, things are upgraded. And one of the bigger systems that's used by a lot of people is one called Samsung SmartThings. And this is a home automation hub that's open source. I have one. I use it. I really like it and have for many years. But they're making some pretty big changes this fall, moving away from one format into another newer one that could cause some of your home automation devices to stop functioning. So to dive into this a little bit deeper and get to the specifics, when this system first started, it used a system called Groovy. Don't know where the name came from, but that's what it was called. And you had to have Groovy compatible stuff in order for your hardware to work. And they've been <laughs> switching recently to some new format called Edge. And these drivers are replacing Groovy. And Groovy is actually being deprecated now and will be shut off at the early part of next year. So why wasn't so this, it called Edgy? <laughs> edgy? Yeah, you know, why not, right? Mm. So you'll have to ask Samsung about that. But mm. in any event, some older devices... And this is especially important because since it's an open source system, SmartThings will support pretty much anything that's out there. So you might have some stuff connected to your system now where the manufacturer is out of business, no longer makes the device, doesn't update the driver, whatever the case may be, that when this change goes into place, it'll stop working. Now, a couple of ways that you can deal with this is this transition for one thing is going to start September 30th, so next week. And it's going to run over the following months to the end of the year. There's no exact time frame on when it'll actually hit your device, but it'll be in that case. And something that the system has on it now that it's not able to deal with is going to be moved to a new folder in your SmartThings app just called Things. And what you can do is look at that and see what's not working. And not, first of all, check with the device manufacturer and see if there's an updated driver. But another thing you can do is just simply remove it from the system and try to re-add it. If the drivers exist, then it will work again. It'll just be brought in and be something new. Now, the problem is, is this, when this transition happens, the devices that are not understood, they're going to be taken out of your automations. So if you have something that's important, you're going to want to watch for this because it will stop working. And so like if you have a light that comes on with an older switch or something, those are the kind of things that you'd want to think about and see if you're going to have a problem from that standpoint. Now, there's two things you can do if you cannot get an updated driver. Number one is replace the device, but of course that costs money. But if you replace it with something new that will operate, it would take care of it. If you're a savvy programmer, however, again, SmartThings is open source, so you could write your own driver. So huh. just sit down and do that. No problem, right? Sure. <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah. I'll just, I'll just, yeah. Well, mm -hmm. I would probably have to find a friend. <laughs> yes, yes. And, uh, uh, why do I feel I'm going to get a few phone calls here? But the thing of it is, uh -huh. is <laughs> I've been working on this as, as a, for example, I've got an old set of keypads that were used from an alarm system that's no longer made a long time ago, but they are, uh, Z, uh I think Zigbee, possibly Z-Wave. So they work with the system, but there's no driver and that type of a thing. So I sat down and I wrote a new driver and they do work and it wasn't really that terribly difficult to do. But there will be people out there that can do that. And if it's something that's unique that you can't replace, then you might consider that. Or if you just want the challenge, I'm not sure it's worth it because most smart home switching components are not that expensive anymore. And the time that it would take to write a driver, in all honesty, probably far exceeds the cost of replacing something. And this is something that surprised me a little bit, too. 
is when I was looking at my equipment, because you think of smart home as state of the art, well, a lot of my older system is now going on 12 years old, which in the computer world is just ancient. As you think about it, your average mm. computer lifespan is three, maybe five years if you have a good one at the most. So a 12-year-old device that's still operating, that's cool. But it's I can understand dinosaur. where that would be. It's a dinosaur. <laughs> it could be definitely yeah, considered exactly. obsolete. <laughs> So, <laughs> so anyway, so this uh, affects now some of the bigger things. There's a list on the SmartThings website of some of the known equipment that will stop working. But one of the ones that is going to be a big deal to a number of people is the uh, Philips Hue version one system. So if you oh still my. have the version one hub, that's going to stop working when this transition goes into play. The way you can tell that is it's very simple. If your Philips Hue hub is round, it's a version one and it's obsolete. If it's square, it's a version two, and you're going to be just fine. Time to update that anyway. And look around. If you need to do that, there's some good deals for, for just about the same price of a replacement hub. You can get some smart bulbs and devices like that thrown in. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0, and I've got a question for you. Do you like to hack? Well, hack at not what? expecting to <laughs> oh, hack computers. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, no, I was talking about chopping wood or something, Yeah, because that's kind of fun. Yes, and but, don't, you know. an, don't answer us with anything that we'd have to um, be concerned about it. But <laughs> the question, while it's rhetorical, there is actually an occupation where you can do this and do it legally and make a lot of money at it. In fact, the Salary range for ethical hackers is between thirty-five thousand to seven hundred and eighty-six thousand a year, with the average being around one hundred and sixty thousand. So six-figure wow. income. And basically, what this is is it's an individual hired by a company that's either an employee or a contractor, depending on how that's set up, to see if you can hack into their systems. You're doing it with their blessings, so which is why it's not an illegal thing. But the idea here is that a good hacker working for the good guys can maybe identify a problem of vulnerability before the bad guys do, and then issue a report on this so that the organization can clean up the vulnerability. And this is used in a lot of ways across the board. Most bigger companies are starting to have these type of individuals involved, and it's definitely a growing area in the IT security area. And I could see where something like this could be really, really sought after. And there are actually certifications that you can get to be able to do this. Hmm. That's interesting. I, I, I can see how the challenge of the puzzle, trying to figure it out and, and the hunt would be appealing to somebody, you know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And especially if you have that skill to go out there and actually be able to take advantage of it. You know, and you're looking for a lot of things, injection attacks. And these are where somebody can get into a data stream and send information to the user or spoof a company, that kind of a thing. Broken authentication. In other words, you're able to log on to something where you shouldn't and somebody figures that out and can steal your account or get into it. This just happened to TikTok on Android a couple of of, uh, weeks ago. Security Mm -hmm. misconfigurations. These are things where a database or something could get out that just happened to the IRS a couple of weeks ago. 
And uh, another yeah. side of this where we were seen as a function on Amazon hosting called S3, where they were configuring databases just to be open to the public, not knowing. So those oh, you're type of the things. I didn't hear about yeah, that, that one. That seems kind of silly. Yeah. Amazon has actually kind of addressed this by making the default to the most lockdown mode. So if you want it to be public now, you would have to manually do it, which has helped. But those kind of things do happen and they're out there. And one of the other areas that ethical hackers will look for is most of our computer systems aren't things that have been completely created by the company that offers it, but they're a mismatch of components, software from different places that you might license. You might have some of your own code operating with other things, and all of that is just fine. But if there's a vulnerability, a known vulnerability or otherwise, in some of the components you're using, that it can actually compromise your system, even though you've done nothing wrong, you know? Right. So being able to find those type of a thing is important. And then the other thing is looking at areas for where sensitive data could be exposed. So this is things like HIPAA or PCI compliance. That's medical and financial industry standards. Things like you don't want your medical records online. You don't want your credit cards online and preventing those type of things from happening, you know? So I just thought it was interesting to be able to look at and think that these type of things are actually becoming a weapon in the arsenal of keeping your system secure. Yeah. And I could see where this would be kind of a fun job. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And it makes sense that you, if you have a, if you're a company and you have a website, you want to make sure it's secure. Right. That if somebody is going to try and hack your website, it's not going to be the easiest one on the block. Uh, You know, testing all your, your vulnerabilities that, that are known or unknown, just seeing if, if if you can break it in like three seconds or not. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And you know, the thing of it is, is, and I've said this before, there's really no such thing as hack proof. And the analogy we often use, it's like the lock on your front door. The bigger the lock is and the harder it is to get through, it'll probably get the bad guy to maybe go to the neighbor or somewhere else. And it also depends on the type of data. If it's something that's really sensitive, you have to be really vigilant because there's going to be a lot more of an attempt to get into your system as opposed to something that might be just a passing thing. And with malware and some of these uh, cyberware attacks where they take your systems hostage and all that kind of stuff. This is a really something that's getting to be even more of a problem than just the idea of losing information. Although losing information, your client's information can destroy your company. The cost to restore your reputation is, is, is amazingly high and all of that kind of thing, if it can even really be done when you think about it. Some of the biggest first hacks that happened that were most public was Target and Home Depot. And this was a few years ago. Yeah. But these are still things that are well-known and examples that are still being used is to kind of the idea of don't let this happen to you. And with so much of us having our information online, I actually had one, a call just this morning where someone calls up and they're like, we're calling from the whatever financial company, all of everything. And can we confirm your account? What's your date of birth? And I'm going, I'm sorry, I don't give out personal information over the phone. And then they just hung up. So it's like, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry, I don't use your company. What are you doing? Well, and it well, always makes me yeah. worried about like, what, what if you have um, between seniors and teens? What if they don't know? Yeah. You know yeah. And they yeah. have phones. You know? yeah. <laughs> so, well, and that's the whole thing, too, is, is in those are areas, uh, seniors have been targeted 
for hacking and all that kind of stuff for a long time now, mm-hmm. uh, just because from one area that, you know, they're not as savvy a lot of the times with computers and tend to be a little more trusting. And now kids this year, this has really become a problem and it's the same type of thing. They may be, not be thinking about now we all can get caught in that. You're busy, you're going through your day, you're doing your bit and just yeah. something happens and you may not think about it, but yeah, it's definitely keep an eye on your kids stuff. And if something happens, check into what to do with it. Same thing with seniors. And really for all of us, this is just something across the board, keeping your passwords up to date and secure and all that's important, but it's getting to a point now where that doesn't solve the problem anymore because you're able to get into systems sometimes without you doing anything wrong. So just keeping an eye on things, being vigilant. If anything weird shows up on your financial accounts, deal with it right away, that type of thing. And just, it's just part of modern life. This is user-friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Great show this week, as always. You know, it's interesting to look at occupations and the ways that you can actually do things on a positive instead of illegally, but you're really doing the same thing. And the whole ethical hacking thing, I think, is kind of cool. So I'm going to see if maybe we can find somebody that's in this occupation to uh, come on and talk with us in the next couple of weeks. So send your questions in for an individual like that. We'd love to hear them and we'd love to get them answered for you. So as we so commonly do in our last segment here, we talk about something new that we've seen in the movies or television this week. And I actually have one. I know I don't get to contribute to this too often, but this week I, I do. It's on Netflix and wow. it's the Cyberpunk Edge Runner cartoon. Ah, mm. now, yeah, we haven't gotten is, a chance yet. So tell us about I, it. I, I like it. I think they did a really good job. If you're a Cyberpunk fan, it does more or less track with the game and the mythology and all of that kind of stuff, what they'd call canon definitely is one for the adults. Mm. A number of things in there that you're going to want the kids to go to bed before you sit down and watch it. But (laughs) that being said, it actually held my, you know, I, I enjoyed watching it. It's a Japanese cartoon. There's subtitles available both in English and Japanese, and it's available in both spoken languages. So you can select that when you want to run it. The artwork matches the game style, so it's kind of cool from that standpoint. And the storylines, I actually think, are are pretty good. So, like I said, I'm about halfway through it now. I'm going to finish up the season. It's called Cyberpunk Edge Runner, and it's on Netflix. And I think it just dropped about two weeks ago, so it's relatively new to their platforms. So, something to check out, you know? Cool. It's weird lately how sometimes animated stuff is as good as the live action. I've been noticing that more and more lately. Hey, this, I think it's Star Wars. The Star Wars uh, animation stuff, um, uh, I would say Rebels outdid the um, sequel trilogy. Yeah, I think uh, it so. It was done really well. Now, I understand they've canceled Rebel Squadron, one of the spinoffs they were going to do. Yeah. I don't know why, but I just read about that. So, uh, but, you know, part of it's just kind of... Sometimes those things happen, as we all know, in the entertainment industry. And yeah, it doesn't always make sense as to why. But, uh, you know, there you are. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Mm -hmm. another question that we've been asked is about upcoming events. And we are going to have some. I know we're planning to do Fan Expo in January. And that's one we haven't done before. We tried to do it this year, but it got canceled for COVID. So uh, it's still going to be a new one for us. 
And we're looking at a couple of things going on this fall. We're going to be covering the Amazon show in December in Las Vegas, and that one ought to be a lot of fun. And looking at some of the Halloween stuff, yes, that's coming right up. October is a week and a half away, actually a week away now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, (laughs) so um, I'm ready for it. I'm kind of done with the hot temperatures and stuff anyway. So bring on the fall. Until then, send us your questions and your comments, 503-766-6264. One user-friendly on Facebook and Twitter. Until next week, this is User-Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User-Friendly 2.0, copyright 2014-2022. User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. All rights reserved. The views and opinions on this show are those of the host and not necessarily those of the User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensed by BMI. Hosting provided by WeirdTechnology.com. Podcast available at userfriendlynation.com, theanswerportland.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.